2: progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law
3: good evening everybody welcome to the show got a great and interesting show planned for you um hope your week is going well and your day is days is too um gosh not to trigger anybody I'm gonna talk about an interesting article that i found someone sent this to me and they were laughing this is a friend of mine, cause we're often talking about infidelity and cheating and, um, it pops into the world often celebrities, politicians. And, uh, my friend sent me this saying, what do you think about this? And it's basically a list of the, um, top cheating professions, what professions have individuals that cheat the most. Some of this is kind of funny. And again, none of this is a predetermined thing. And I don't want anyone to get anxious if their partners fall within these realms. Um, And there could be an interesting discussion analysis as to why these specific careers or professions tend to have more cheaters than other ones. Um, And we can kind of talk about that on the back end. The number one top cheating profession is, drum roll, please, uh, people that work in finance, (laughs) brokers, bankers, and analysts. Oh, good. Uh, I wonder if that's ego driven, entitlement driven. I don't know if it's about the skill set that's required to be good. Working in finance just doesn't get applied well to boundaries, marriage, and romance. I don't know. Um, I don't know if that career breeds some level of, uh, entitlement narcissism, or if it's already there and it attracts those individuals who knows, but that's a part of that. Um, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> the second highest uh, numbers of cheating within a profession, this one was a little surprising, maybe not, aviation. People that are pilots, flight attendants, or work in that industry. Again, maybe it's because they're out of town, lonely, bored, susceptible to wanting attention or time with someone. Maybe that kind of job with the travel makes them feel less connected to their primary partners, You know, out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. I know for some people that uh, struggle with maintaining boundaries within, you know, commitment to monogamy and whatnot. Uh, out of town is a very difficult time for them because, again, out of sight, out of mind. They're not they're not bumping into reminders of their primary partnership. Um, they feel as though whatever happens in another time or space just doesn't count. There's no accountability. No one will recognize you or know you. Who knows? But I think some of that's woven in there. So, top one is people that work in finance. The second highest is aviation, followed by healthcare. Yep, doctors and nurses. I don't know if that's about high stress and attempts to deal with that, or again, maybe they are disconnected because they work so much and they're so tired from their primary relationship, so don't honor it or feels connected or the inverse, that that industry maybe attracts a certain personality style and that personality style is highly susceptible to poor boundaries. It's always, you know, which is there, the chicken or the egg, sometimes it's both. Number four, business, people that work in business, CEOs, managers and secretaries and assistants, ah yes. Followed by, and I thought this one might be higher up, sports. I thought maybe some of the entitlement and fame, they think they are beyond boundaries and accountability. Who knows? Followed by arts, musicians, models, actors, photographers. This is a little surprising. Followed by, even lower on the level, is nightlife industry people. Somehow I might have thought that might be higher up. Darkness, a lot of people drunk and intoxicated on drugs. More fluidity and boundaries and sexual expression. Yeah. Maybe I was un- un- needless, or needlessly stigmatizing it. So th- it actually gets funnier. So the next one's legal, people that work in law, followed by communications. And then my favorite is number 10 of the top 10 professions that have the most amount of people that cheat is other sectors. What a bizarre landing point. Other stuff. <laughs> it's the 10th highest. Other things. Uh, things not already included. So what to make of that? Not too much, unless maybe a warning, if you yourself are in that industry, be very thoughtful about how that industry you know, impacts your um, relationship to your relationship and primary partner, whatever commitment you've made relationally. That's all there is in that. So that was meant to be funny and lighthearted. And I think that that's important to remember is nothing guarantees or promises anything. Once a cheater, not always a cheater, just because you work in an industry that has a high number of people that do have questionable boundaries at times. It doesn't mean everyone does. And it really comes back to, again, the quality of the relationship, the respect you have for your partner in the relationship, the respect they have for the relationship and for you, and just working on removing triggers and removing uh, high-risk situations that might Make it hard for you to hold yourself accountable to what you've committed to, because remember that. Don't put yourself in situations where you might have to struggle. Be aware of what those situations might be. When you find yourself in them, remove yourself. Don't don't set yourself up to fail. And be aware of the magical formula. What leads often to infidelity is the time you spend with someone, the emotional intimacy you build with them, and, 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 and being attracted to them. So what is that saying? Be very thoughtful about your boundaries around people you spend a lot of time with that you're attracted to and what can be born out of always being around them and building emotional intimacy with them. Again, not to problematize having emotional intimacy with friends. That's a beautiful important thing and we should all support that in our partners and in ourselves. We don't remove that because we're threatened by it. We just make sure we have solid boundaries and then if we trust them and they trust us, we can do whatever we do with whoever we do it with because all will be well, you know? So work on that trust. All right, when we come back, we're gonna talk about how to care for someone in your life that maybe struggles with their mental health. Uh, yes, important stuff. Because a lot of people are like, what do I do? So we'll be talking about that and they'll be coming back and um, at some point doing some DMs as always. So got a question topic, put in the DMs on our Love Line G page. Otherwise, stick around because uh, we got a whole lot more to come. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and on Odyssey
2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast.
3: Oh, Rachel, we are back and we're talking about how to be there for those in our lives that we care about that are struggling with their mental health because it's going to happen. It needs to happen. If it's not happening, you got to ask yourself, and are people maybe not feeling safe coming to me and expressing or sharing with me the mental health issues? Am I not presenting as safe or open to that? What might I be doing? Am I shutting them down? Am I always jumping into solution and problem solving and never emotionally holding space to just listen and help them process? What might that be about? Because we're all at some point in our lives going to struggle with all the different various mental health issues. That's part of being a human. Um, we have this odd idea that the baseline should be happiness and that if we aren't happy, something's wrong. And it's like that's that couldn't be farther from the truth. Again, we've somewhere along the line picked up this idea that if we don't feel happy all the time that there's something disordered or pathological happening. And remember, our brains are built to keep us um, safe and to protect us. So they're often dramatizing, catastrophizing, um, they have a negativity bias, they personalize. So our brains aren't built to focus on happiness. If it did or was, it would be more geared towards and constantly, first and foremost, generating gratitude, looking at the positive side, but that isn't what's gonna protect us and keep us safe, focusing on that. And that's why part of the work is what you put your attention on. And if we're constantly focusing on what's wrong and what's lacking and what's broken and what's bad, well, that's the world you're gonna live in and that's what you're gonna feel from. And so we have to work against our brain's natural inclination. But before we get into that, remember, happiness isn't the baseline. But the baseline is neutrality or complexity. That's what life is really built on. And so if you're not always happy, that doesn't mean something's wrong and your goal can't be, I wanna always be happy because that's not reasonable. We have to have more flexibility and adaptability. But like I said, our brains aren't built for happiness. (laughs) Neither are our bodies or nervous systems. That's something we create when we can and we enjoy it when we have it, but when we have an absence of it, we don't panic and assume something's wrong. So again, if a client comes in, like, I just want to be happy. I'm like, that can't be our goal. I can't promise that. And we're not always going to have that. And that's not realistic or honest. What I can help you with is, is trying to create moments of joy when, when it's possible and reasonable, but also being able to weather and tolerate the anxiety, the depression, the grief that is a natural occurring part of life. And we don't want to be afraid of that. Because remember, mental health is feeling all of our feelings, all of them, and feeling them fully and deeply. All of them, including the ones that we frame as bad or wrong. We have to feel all of them, but we are not denying, nor are we dramatizing and amping them up either. We try to sit in the middle with them. We make space for all of it. We allow it all. That's mental health. So that is what we have to remember when we're working with supporting or caring for someone in our life who has mental health struggles, that it's not about making them happy or getting them the happiness. It's about letting them know this is okay. This is expected. It might be hard. Don't make it worse by feeling like it shouldn't be happening. Make room for it. But let's also allow us to acknowledge other things that are happening that are good or positive. Let's also talk about how to still go out and meaningfully participate in our lives and in the world. Because remember, if we're talking about something like depression, one of the first symptoms is we have a negative perspective on self or other or the future or the world. We have to challenge that a bad moment isn't a bad day or a bad week or a bad year, but we sometimes dramatize it like that, or we assume the future's gonna be bad, we don't know that. So it's all about reality testing and coming back to reality. And another symptom of depression is behavioral deactivation, meaning not wanting to do anything, and that actually further depresses us. So the work is about pushing through that and saying, I can be depressed and still leaving the house and meaningfully participating in my life. How can we make that a goal? But as a support to someone who's struggling, we don't wanna jump in with solutions because that can feel as though you're not really taking them seriously or supporting them or empathizing. So we wanna do that first and then say, hey, do you wanna talk about some solutions? And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that, but I wanted to just kind of give a global perspective on what, we're, what you're trying to do. That's the takeaway. Be present, be approachable, hold space and listen and process, and then also be aware of what some solutions might be. That's kind of the, the trajectory. Because when someone's struggling, that's what people often come to me with. What do I do? What do I do? My first statement is say, just let them be there with you, be in it with them. Um, I've talked about this before. There's a beautiful scene in the movie Lars and the Real Girl, Ryan Gosling film, early in his career. Um, and he loses someone. I'm not going to, you know, kill the movie spoiler alert by saying anything more. And there's this beautiful moment that maybe goes over a lot of people's heads. It was profound for me because it's something we struggle with, where again, he lost someone, he's in mourning, he's in grief. And people that care about him are like, what do we do, what do we do? And these wise elders say, we just sit, just sit with him. Let this person know that they're not alone in this. Grief And and grief doesn't need to be solved. In fact, you can't solve grief. Grief is something we have to enter into and allow, and often is a companion with us for the duration of our life at times. And so we're not trying to solve his grief, that's not possible. Someone just died, he should be experiencing grief. What he's experiencing doesn't need to be gotten rid of because it's not bad. So we're not trying to fix, we're trying to just support and be with. So we just sit with them. If you're dealing, if you're with someone who's grieving a loss, say, hey, do you want company in that grief? I'll come sit with you. We don't have to talk. Or I'll just sit there and listen. Or we can just you know, cuddle and watch a movie. Or hey, do you wanna just go for a walk and talk or go for a walk and not talk or go for a walk and talk about something other than. So you're both asking them what they need And you're also not trying to solve because it's not solvable. Someone just died. Something important to them was just taken. The ending of a relationship, a job, who knows what it is. And again, we're gonna get into more specifics, but I'm just kind of rounding it out. And the same thing with depression. We're not trying to fix it or solve it. A lot of things that are going on might be worthy of being depressed. We don't wanna shame or make someone afraid of that emotion. We have to be able to encounter depression. Um, We're trying to help people, you know, companion it or companion to it all. and then there's some other mental health issues that we do want to kind of dismantle a little bit because they, de- they do tend to be rooted in things that aren't actually happening, which is like anxiety. Anxiety is usually an exaggerated um, interpretation of something or an exaggerated fear of what might never even come to be. So anxiety is something we, we do want to work on dismantling where things like grief and depression, those are natural and normal. And we should feel that at times because of things. So we don't want to shame that or get rid of it. We have to learn how to allow it. Anxiety, we want to try to dismantle. Uh, We've talked about that. We'll talk more about how to deal with that because anxiety is actually a lot easier to work with than people imagine. It, It just takes some effort and we have to be willing to do that effort. Um, all right, we're gonna come back and talk more about how to support someone in your life who's dealing with mental health issues. And then we'll be doing some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, put in the DMs on our loveline IG page, past episodes of the show, always over at wearechannelq.com. Otherwise, we'll be back. Stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all, we are back and uh talk about how to support and help care for someone who is struggling with their mental health. Um, It can be scary, it can be overwhelming. A lot of us aren't familiar stepping into this, but we wanna be a resource for people. So you wanna let people know, I am someone you can come to, I am someone who's here. We're not trying to fix or remove. A lot of these emotions are expected and natural and healthy. So we're just making space for it. Again, we're not trying to solve. Um, We're not making it about us and we're sometimes saying things like, what do you need? Uh, cause some these people do want to talk. Sometimes they just want to sit and be with someone. Other times they want you to distract them and take them out of it. So be open to the possibility of all of that. Um, and that's why the first thing that we talk a lot about is just spending time with them. Um, I know when I've lost loved ones, it just felt good to have people around me. There wasn't anything that they needed to say or could say, I just didn't want to be sitting alone in it. It can feel worse. So, um, if you notice that someone you care about or someone you 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 know is struggling with something is maybe let's say you're cohabitating and they're just sitting there or they're cooking or they're reading or they're i don't know just watching television maybe just go sit by them you know just occupy some space with them um and again um nothingness is sometimes the most healing agent Being visibly present and accessible if needed can be very healing, to know that there's someone there who cares about us. Sometimes they'll access that, sometimes they won't, that's okay. Your presence is enough. And again, offering for you to be a vehicle for them to maybe get distracted or to process. Um, Touch can be helpful for some, for you to say, let me hold you, or let me hold your hand while talking, while not talking. some people do better if you bound them up and say, let me roll you up in a blanket, You know, give you a little bit of pressure. That can feel very soothing. It's like a holding environment. A lot of people are soothed by someone giving them a big hug, cuddling them, or kind of wrapping them up in a blanket with some pressure. You might want to say to them, maybe, do you want me to give you a massage? Um, you have to kind of ask them because again, like I said, some people want to go into it. Other people want to avoid it. Um, other people just want someone's presence. Another beautiful thing that came up in some of the research that I thought was kind of meaningful is this whole idea of like, can I help make it easier by taking other responsibilities off your shoulders at this time? Um, you know, I know you're depressed. I know you're dealing with grief. Can I cook dinner for you? Can I do some grocery shopping? Can I maybe watch the kids? Can I come over and clean your house? Um, Can I help you run errands and just kind of be there with you? Those are really beautiful things because when you're depressed, when you're grieving something, when you're dealing with a lot of anxiety, it's really hard to imagine taking on activities of daily life. That might be beyond what they have the energy and capacity for. And you don't want them to feel worse because now they're failing at achieving these other things and they're thinking about the other things that need to get done. So you're removing a complicating factor. You're removing something that might deplete resources they need for their own healing and, and rest. And you're also making them feel good by letting them know that people care. So ask them if there's things you can do for them. So my point is, it's not your, your care for them isn't always going to be rooted in the symptoms or the issue they're struggling with. Sometimes it's the structural or peripheral stuff that they need help with. Like I said, picking the kids up at school or dropping them off, helping them clean, asking if you can drive them somewhere, coming over and making food with them or for them, taking them out to eat. Sometimes that's the best route. Or like I said, just touch and time with them. Come sit with me, you know, let's go get out of the house or the talking. Those are really, really, really important factors. Also, so is maybe putting a smile on their face. I shared some stories like this on the show. A friend had a hard day. I dropped off some cookies right? Just gifting them something, letting them know like, hey, here thinking about you, putting a little smile on their face, getting them a little care package, surprising them with something. Maybe it's just a really beautiful text, keeping up, checking in. All of those things are really powerful and really meaningful because again, we don't want people to think they're alone in this. Again, we want to take things off their shoulders. Again, we want to maybe give them moments of distraction. Again, we want to help create a little bit of joy, letting them know you can be grieving and sad and that's real and that's healthy and that's appropriate, but can we carve out a little space for some time away or some joy? you know? And that's why the affirmative thing, write them a little letter, send them an email, send them a text, send them a voice memo, drop by and just say, I'm thinking about you. I care about you. Drop a card off because sometimes people don't want to socialize. They're tired. They don't want to have to worry about someone else. So leave a card at their door, send them a little message. Uh, You know what I mean? It means a lot to people, even if they don't respond that they got the text that said, I'm here, I'm thinking of you send flowers. People don't want to feel alone in things we know from a lot of robust research that someone going through with them reduces the pain and impact. It also helps the healing process. Having someone there with us when we have to have something done, knowing that there's someone there symbolically because they said, I'm thinking about you, I care about you, all of that alleviates some of the distress and makes it easier and also becomes somewhat of something for them to move towards. Um, They know that there's more to come. They know that there's resources because that's part of this, not thinking we have any resources and then people panic people struggle. We're better off because we have people around us. So try to be a part of that with them, especially if you're in a primary relationship with someone, cause they're your best friend or your close family member or your you know husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend. We really need to know that those primary people aren't afraid of us or aren't overwhelmed by us when we're struggling with our mental health. And so sometimes all these things are just that reminder that like, I can do this with you. This isn't too big for me or beyond me. I'm not going to abandon or leave you when you're struggling. Because this is also when we show commitment and trust. Trust is built and we demonstrate commitment based on what we do in these difficult times. So that, that counts and that matters. All right, we're going to come back and do some DMs and then we're going to keep this chat going. So stick around. You're listening to Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we are back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs.
0: Sliding into the DMs.
3: So I say, Dr. Chris, just started dating this woman. She's 28, has a five-year-old daughter. Thing is, she doesn't live with the daughter. Interesting. The daughter lives with her grandma, my girl's mom. Okay, cool. Thank God she has her, you know. My girl has her own apartment downtown, and she says that she sees the daughter, but I don't know when, because over the past few weeks, all of her time has been spent with me and crashing at my place. Interesting. I don't know if it's too soon to ask, but I really want to know what the deal is. (laughs) I'm sorry I'm laughing. I'm kind of curious as well. But hey, who knows? Uh, Especially considering I'm in a position where I want to be serious and settle down. Is it my business to ask? Heck yeah. I mean, that shouldn't be an offensive question if you don't pose it offensively and you don't mean it offensively. I think it's a very fair uh, curiosity to be like, hey... Um, you spend a lot of time with me. I know she haven't seen your daughter. Like how often do you get to see her? Pose it in a non-accusatory way, which is really what I hope it is for you. is not, and not an accusation or an implication that this person's a bad mom. I, I don't know what the deal is. Um, but I think as you're getting into a relationship with someone and you maybe see it moving towards getting really serious, it's reasonable to want to understand what role her daughter plays in her life because that's going to be brought into your life. Um, so I think that there's something completely okay about that uh yeah so so ask just ask non-accusatorily um all right we got a time for another one this one says hey dr Kristen loveline i know this is kind of silly question but this new guy i'm seeing is obsessed with astrology a lot of people that are in astrology tend to go all in and real deep with it back to your question you said i'm talking like he ran our compatibility before we had our first date all right you know, you work with the tools you got. And if I was into astrology, I'd probably be doing all that, but I don't know anything about it. It's just not something that's that interesting to me. Um anyway, you said that he ran your compatibility before you even met and agreed because the reading was good or something like that. Yeah, see, there's the there's the flaw. I don't think these things are um What's the word I wanna say? Uh, I think that there's there's room for interpretation and I think that we're more than just these static traits. Uh, psychology tells us that we are contextual, situational and relational, that who we are will change based on the person we're in a relationship with if we're healthy because we're playing off of them, it's co-created. And so every relationship I'm in, different parts of myself are brought forward and different parts of myself are suppressed as a result of who I'm with. If I'm with, if I'm with someone who's more uh, outgoing and joyful than I am, that's gonna have one version of me versus someone who's maybe more quiet, another part might emerge. I'm different with my clients as I am with my friends, as I am with my mom, right? Like we're all these different parts and it's based on our mood, what's going on. So like it's a little bigger than that. Anyway, back to your question. You said he seems like a good guy. But it seems like a little much. Am I reading too much into this? I don't know. It remains to be seen. That could have been all it took, is, you know, he just needed to know that you're compatible astrologically and then he's all in. Um, I think you kind of got to, you got to kind of throw it back to him. I'd be honest about it. Like, hey, I'm not into astrology. You are. You told me you had to run our compatibility before you went on a date with me. How else in the future might you apply astrology to our relationship? You know what I mean? I think it's a very honest thing to ask. Like, how much does that matter? Is it enough to know we're compatible? Is there more to come with that? Maybe you'll have something really interesting and reasonable. You know, some people use astrology to better understand what their work might be or or what a partner might expect, and it becomes an enhancement and a positive tool. But sure, anything can be used against us and weaponized and misused. So I think it's very fair for you to say in what role, in what other ways does astrology show up? But more importantly, if you think they're great, Hang in there and deal with it. See, it it could just, it's like dating someone who's into sports. Like that could be something that's obnoxious and gets in the way, or it could be just be something that you get brought into. And it's an interesting thing that you learn about. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It really depends on their relationship to it and how they use it. So I wouldn't see that as a deal breaker. If anything, it's a red flag, which means you want to get more information and track it, but I don't even think it's a red flag. Um, it's like when people, someone wants to date me and they're afraid I'm going to misapply psychology. Psychology doesn't really work like that, it's not mind control. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't want someone to make those assumptions because I'm a person first. So I think that this is a little bit of a parallel process. So anyway, let me know how it goes. All right, y'all. Uh, coming up next, uh, DMs first. If you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Level Energy page, questions, topics. We are channelq.com. That's where you want to go to check out past episodes, but we got more to come. So don't go anywhere. Stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris, Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. Oh, Rachel, we're back and we're talking about how to, you know, help support and care for those in our lives that might be struggling with mental health issues. And at some point, we're also going to talk about how to look out for ourselves while looking out for people who are struggling with their mental health issues. Uh, Because we always have to be thinking about ourselves in that way as well. Um, Okay, a few more points that I think are important to cover. Um, Do some research. I think education and learning is really important so that you really understand what it is that this person might be going through. So education and research can be empathy building. And maybe if you realize someone else in this individual's life is shaming them for their mental health issues, telling them to kind of get over it, toughen up, um, all these other shaming things, maybe you can help share some of those research, some of that research or education with them as well. Cause that, that's what I think empathy is built upon, is understanding this person's experience to the best that you can. Um, and also maybe helping yourself or this other individual realize that we've all had experiences like this. I'm always reminding people, mental health is as important as physical health, and I give them an example of someone hurt their leg or their arm or their eye, we would all rally, we would understand. And just because uh, mental health is often invisible doesn't mean it has any less legitimacy. It's still a real thing, it's still a medical condition, it's still a true struggle, it's a barrier. And we wanna be sympathetic to that. And you can say to them, haven't you ever struggled with that? what would you have wanted people to have done around you? Um, This person you care about needs your care and support. How can we maybe better do that? So educate yourself so you can have those facts and also you can offer that to others that might be struggling. And then it also helps you have a sense of mastery when we have a understanding of what we can expect within whatever this person's struggling with. Another thing is connecting them maybe with resources. You don't have to necessarily struggle with this on your own and nor should they, and you can say to them, hey listen, maybe getting into therapy might help or can I recommend some reading that maybe might help you also better understand how to um, deal with, process, heal from whatever you're struggling with. So again, resources, kind of tied to that education piece. When people are struggling, we don't always think in terms of solutions. And we might not have the energy to get up and also access those. So you can bring them to the individual. Again, you can help connect them. So that research education resources one is very profoundly you know, connected and I think really, really, really important. Um, as is what I said earlier, which is encouraging them to seek help maybe if this is something that's going on for a long period of time or you kind of see no shift happening because that's part of this. How long standing is this? Uh, To what level of severity is this? Is this something that just needs some time? Is your support, you know, helpful and reasonable? Or again, do we need to maybe bring in some medication um, and therapeutic support and resources? Um, Side note, within the construct of what we were talking about earlier in the show. And again, if you missed it and you want to hear it, go to wearechannelq.com. You can check out past episodes, go down, look for LoveLine and click on, and they're all there. Um, Your approach is what we were talking about before the DMs earlier in the show and just really holding space for people and not necessarily jumping right away to trying to fix or solve. And I understand we live in this optimization culture where we want to get back to life as quick as possible, but mental health is messy, Uh, It isn't something that's going to be clean and the healing isn't going to be on your time clock when and how you want it. It's not necessarily going to be a linear process where the person's always making further advancements towards healing. Sometimes they'll regress. Sometimes they'll relapse and go backwards. Um, That's part of it, letting go of trying to control the process and helping the individual struggling, letting to let go of trying to control the process. You might not be better and ready for work on Monday and also normalizing it. Maybe you have to help this person understand that it's okay to take sick time or to call out of work or to reach out to human resources to get medical leave or to get the therapist to write a letter to get medical leave. You know, just like if we were unable to walk, we might need medical leave or assistance with our job. Our mental health might require that as well. And that's just as reasonable and as legitimate. So that's part of, again, research and connecting them with resources. but. I want to call that out. It's a messy messy process. It's not a linear, straightforward process where we're always healing in the direction that we want or on the time clock we want. It doesn't work like that. Physical health is a little different. They have a better sense of prognosis and um, some more specific targeted treatments where mental health is far more complex. It's a constellation. Um, you know, let's say depression, for for instance, it's not a monolithic um, similar disease. Everyone's experience of that is going to be quite different based on resources they have, experiences they've had, genetics, social supports, other traumas, you know, attachment style, coping mechanisms, other comorbid mental health issues. Like, it's far bigger than just if you broke your toe, we put you in a cast, and this is the healing time. Generally, a little bit of rehab like this, and then you're back to life. Mental health does not work like that. And I have to tell patients out when they come to my practice, they'll say, "How many sessions till I?" I have no idea. I don't know what's going to come up in the process. I don't know the severity of this issue. I don't know what else is tied to it. I don't know what foundational stuff we have to do first before we even tackle this targeted issue. So again, know that it's quite messy. I point that out to people because sometimes they're like, we just want to like get to it. It doesn't work like that. We can't apply those values to mental health. That's more physical health. Um, So you have to uh, soften (laughs) the person struggling and you as well. And you have to remind them that You know, I think sometimes knowing the journey removes the anxiety or fear of the journey because we expect it. We know it's coming. Um, We can account for it. So, all right, we come back and talk more about how to care for someone in your life who's struggling with mental health. And then of course, we'll be closing out the show by doing some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Questions, topics, things you want us to hit, circle back, drop deeper into Loveline IG. And uh, we are channelq.com for past episodes. Otherwise, we'll be back. You'll listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all, we are back and we're talking about how to support a partner or loved one that is struggling with their mental health. Really, really, really important stuff. And we're talking about all sorts of things like um, encouraging them to seek help also as the caregiver or support to do maybe a little research or education or kind of help guide our loved one towards research and education to better understand what they're struggling with. Sometimes also just to kind of crank down the anxiety. That's something I often see where people are anxious because of something that's happening and it's not because of their necessarily, it's not necessarily because of their experience of what's happening, but it's because they think it shouldn't be happening or this isn't normal or they catastrophize what it might mean. And in doing some of the research, it can really help to quiet that down. I think for instance, of things like anxiety or panic disorders. And one of the first things I remind clients when they're discussing it, going through it in the moment or reaching out, you know, between sessions about it is, that isn't dangerous. Anxiety is not dangerous. A panic moment isn't dangerous, but we, 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 we catastrophize as though it is. Like, oh my God, I'm panicking and, and we spin out. And I remind them, you're gonna be okay, it will pass. And that itself is soothing. It's not that we're not legitimizing or taking things seriously because we're never trying to patronize or illegitimize. But with things like anxiety, we do want to anchor and we do want to help ground people. And that's part of grounding and anchoring them is saying, You'll be okay. I know this is scary. I know this is hard. You'll be okay. And we have them either do breathing to slow down their heart rate and to ground them, or maybe movement. Do some push ups. Push yourself against the wall. Go for a run. Jump up and down. Sometimes we need to dispel that energy. And like all emotions, eventually it subsides, because the work is just about riding it out to completion and not panicking, and just letting the anxiety move through our body. And so the education and understanding of something is sometimes so very much needed. I, even moving outside of this realm and looking at some of the sexual relational stuff that comes in to my office with my patients, I that sometimes is such a powerful intervention is just saying, yeah, that's expected. And they're like, oh, and you're like, yeah, that's common. Yep, a lot of married couples or a lot of solo individuals experience that. And sometimes that's all that's needed. And they're saying, okay, this is there's nothing wrong here, even though this feels different or unfamiliar or strange. So what am I saying? I'm saying education can help us normalize. Education can help us turn off the panic um, because that's what's needed sometimes is to not just know that we're not alone, not just to know that there are resources available, but also to know that we're gonna be okay. We don't wanna add suffering to pain by thinking this is bad, this is wrong, this shouldn't be happening and I might not survive this, especially when it's the opposite. So it's a little bit of reality testing, it's a little bit of self-soothing, it's definitely a beautiful way to support. But again, we wanna do it in a way that doesn't make them think we don't believe them or we're not supporting them or we're illegitimizing what they're going through. Um, In fact, it's quite the opposite. We're just trying to kind of provide them with a tool and a better perspective. Um, So there's that because again, we're not trying to judge when someone is struggling with their mental health and you're there to care for them, support them, your loved one, we don't want to judge it. It's happening. (laughs) It's not about whether it's reasonable or not. It's happening. And again, they don't need to feel worse about what's happening because you're shaming it as though it shouldn't be happening. It is. So let's start there. What can we do based on where we're at? Right? A client comes into my practice. I don't judge and say, well, that shouldn't be an issue. It's like, but it is. And here's a good perspective of it. Here's a way to work with it. Here's the path with such a thing, so don't judge. Um, Another one is we're gonna have to have patience because things aren't gonna necessarily heal or resolve on your timetable. And they might be happening on a bad day, a bad week, not moving quick enough or fast enough. Um, It might be negatively impacting getting in the way of your own life, but unfortunately, not everything has a linear process on a specific timetable. I've talked about that. Again, when a client says, how many sessions will this take? I say, I have no idea. I could never tell you that. Don't know. This isn't like sports medicine where they're like, this is the knee surgery. This is the healing time. Here's the rehab. And even in that, there's complications and other factors. But with mental health, oh, it's a uh, theoretical, philosophical. That's why talk therapy is so powerful. Uh, most mental health things are not genetically based. We now know that. Um, they're psychosocial. And a lot of them are born out of belief systems, attachment issues, early traumas, or just not having education around the fact that nothing's wrong here, everything's happening fine. Like people use the word sex addiction. That's not a real thing. It's often used to pathologize sex that's confusing or different, or someone who's maybe struggles with their sexuality, but they're not addicted. It's not life-threatening, not literally unable to stop. It's just they feel it's difficult to stop, but they stop enough to leave their house. They stop enough to go to dinner. They stop enough if someone walks by their office and knocks on the door (laughs) or their bedroom, you know, there is a sense of control, it's just very hard. And so that's part of this, is we have to have patience, we have to seek some resources, we wanna get a little bit of education and understanding so it doesn't look as scary, we wanna have a sense of control, a little bit of a sense of mastery, but you as the caretaker also sometimes need to have that as well, especially if it's your child or your partner. And that's where people will get frustrated. They're like, oh, so now it's my issue too. Well, yeah, if you're in a relationship with someone, especially if you're their, your primary partner, 100%, what you go through impacts them, what they go through impacts you. That's part of that deal. That's part of attachment and love and care. There's no way around that. So yes, if you're dating someone with a mental health diagnosis of some kind, from the door, get educated on it to understand what that's gonna look like. And not everyone's cut out to be in a relationship like that. I respect that. Um, not everyone based on their own stuff is gonna be able to be in a relationship with someone who struggles with borderline traits or narcissism or some forms of trauma because it triggers their own stuff because they don't have the capacity. But I say that in a broader sense, just because two people are attracted to each other and wanna be married doesn't mean they have what it takes to pull it off. They don't necessarily have compatibility or compatible nervous systems or their traumas are at odds or their attachment styles are problematic. That's life, that's life. But if we do education, we, we often have a little bit of a sense Um, of what it might take, but we both parties have to be working on it. Cause again, as I always say, one of the number one biggest deal breakers is someone having an undealt with or untreated drug and alcohol mental health issue. You have a right to say, if we're going to be in this relationship, you are working on that and addressing that. Otherwise you are not available to be my partner. You're not available to yourself, but you're also not available to be my partner or my friend or whatever it is. So that, that boundary you have a right to kind of set, um, all right, we're going to come back and talk more. We have a few more points to hit, and then we'll be doing some DMs. So If you got a question for us, topic you want to sit, something you want us to circle back, drop deeper into, put that on the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Past episodes, always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline, and click on it. You can binge, post, re-listen, and share. Get that repetition in. It's all about the practice. Otherwise, stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. Oh, y'all. we are back and we're just finishing up our discussion about how to support loved ones who are struggling with their mental health. Um, so much woven into this topic, all important stuff about um, holding space, not necessarily jumping to solving and fixing, but at the same time, maybe normalizing the experiencing um, of whatever it is that we're talking about and helping them understand that. We don't need to be afraid of what's occurring and educating ourselves. We have a sense of mastery and can talk about resources and possibly connecting this loved one to some therapy or whatever resources might be helpful. Talking about not judging and having patience. And that's very hard because it doesn't always healing and the work doesn't always happen on a timetable. That's what we were hoping for. And sometimes It's lifelong. And then we were kind of zeroing in on the caretaker themselves or the per- the loved one. And how about they get into some care? Sometimes, unfortunately, because of the people that we have in our lives, we might need to seek out some therapy so we can take care of ourselves and look out for ourselves. We might have healing to do as a result of whatever it is that we're encountering because of this loved one. And again, vague, vague, but I don't know necessarily what everyone individually might be up against. Is it you know a drug and alcohol issue with a loved one? Is it a mental health issue? Is it a both Um, so let's talk a second about boundaries that you're going to need time away from this time away from it during the day, time away from it weekly, meaning maybe you want to plan a longer respite away, taking the weekend off, taking the week off, depending on how close you are to this individual and how consistent it is that you're having to deal with and help support them. Or it's just about smaller boundaries around your availability, not being as readily available, shrinking down the amount of time that you're available, trying to also incorporate the support of others so that it doesn't fall exclusively on your shoulders. Understandably, with the loved one who's struggling, they might return to you consistently because you've been maybe one of the few that are available. However, that doesn't mean that you can keep providing that. It doesn't mean that you don't have other things going on in your life. There might be weeks where all's well, and there might be weeks where you have your own individual things that make it hard for you to be accessible or available to this other. And you're going to have to honor that. So again, setting boundaries, taking time off, trying to incorporate the support of some other individuals. Sometimes it's also about sending that individual to others. And talking to them about maybe reaching out to some other people first, setting a boundary saying, you know, it looks like you're gonna need some treatment. I can't be your therapist, which can be a really hard thing to say to someone, but sometimes very important. But the boundaries and the time away and decreasing your availability and getting your own support is gonna be really important because this will have an impact on you. And then the impact it has on you is gonna then have an impact on the others in your life outside of that. It has a trickle down effect especially if you're tired and depleted and overwhelmed. And it depends on, again, what your days are like otherwise. Do you have other people that you're caring for? Our systems can only manage so much of that. Um, And then, as always, I wanna always throw in there that build up your own resources. Make sure you are finding joy in your day. What are you doing that makes you happy? Caring for others, being in relationships with people that are having difficult times mentally can sometimes make us feel bad. Stepping into joy or something pleasurable as though we have to honor their difficulty by us living or acting as though life isn't good when life might be great for us, it's okay to hold both. I'm sorry you're having a hard day, I love you. However, I do have plans with friends and I'm really excited about it and I'm gonna go enjoy them and doing both. That isn't dishonoring whatever your loved one is struggling with. You get to do both so still build in that joy and pleasure still build in socialization you don't have to shrink your life down because maybe their life is because of whatever they're struggling with um, so we're trying to kind of mitigate the impact we're still trying to tap into our own resources we're building up our own resilience um, because that's what i see happen in my practice in the beginning we have a little more energy, a little more willingness, and we're taking care of our loved one, or we're involved in their care and they're reaching out to us and we're picking up the phone. But then time goes by and we get a little tired, we get a little burnt out, and we see it's impacting our other relationships or other members of our family. And we don't want to get resentful. We don't want to get burnt out and we don't want to get resentful. And so we want to do what we have to do so as to prevent getting there. Cause once we're burnt out or resentful, it's really hard to backpedal that. But by Sending them sometimes to other resources by taking time away—in again a global sense or minor sense—is part of how we prevent that from happening, while also making sure we are participating fully in our lives and in the things that are meaningful in our lives. So it's about doing all those different pieces, and um, that's the best we can do. You know, there's not an ideal an ideal route within this, and we never know what's coming. And so, um, and these are, you know. I want people to be focusing on and doing anyway, whether we're caring for a loved one who's struggling with mental health. um, And also knowing that sometimes that stuff comes out of comes out of the blue. We don't always know when we form a relationship with someone what it is we might be stepping into or essentially taking responsibility for. Um, All right. When we come back, we're going to do some DMs. So, if you've got a question for us, drop it in the DMs on our Love Line IG page. Always anonymous, always confidential. Someone else is maybe wondering what you're wondering about. So, you're helping them as we help you. Put topics in there you want us to hit, things you want us to circle back, drop deeper into, and uh, past episodes of the show. Always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Love Line and click on it. You can binge, post, re listen, and share. It's all about that repetition that unlearning and that relearning and then bringing it into our lives as a practice. So, um, otherwise y'all you don't got to go anywhere. Just stick around and enjoy the music cause we'll be back. we got a whole lot more to come DMS on the way. So stick around. You're listening to love line with Dr. Chris on channel Q and on Odyssey. We'll be right back.
2: Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
1: You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp and refreshing taste. Or if you overcame,
3: Tourist, tour.
1: you deserve this ice-cold reward. Modelo, the mark of fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.
3: All right, y'all. We are back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs.
0: Sliding into the DMs.
3: This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, the last month has really been hard for me mentally. I feel a little tense. I'm sorry, no, I feel a little sense, the paranoia everywhere I go now due to everything that's happening on the news. See, we're gonna hear a lot of this. We're gonna be talking about this topic a lot again because we just answered one like this. And now I'm thinking about the next election. It gives me anxiety. Oh God. (sighs) There's not much we can do. The world's a scary place and we can only do the best we can in terms of taking care of ourselves with what we're witnessing, what we're talking about, what we're listening to, how we feel about being around other people I was thinking about that the other day when I was out of the house and I was walking by large groups of people that were kind of hanging out and unmasked. And all I could think about was like COVID, 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 you know, and the numbers are spiking. So very reasonable, right? But I think a lot of people are really burnt out, not really caring much about it anymore. And I know that there's a lot of things politically going on and it's getting worse. Abortion rights are being taken away. Gay rights are coming right behind books are being banned. People are murdering each other. We are having gun violence. Like It's unreal. So it's really, it's very reasonable that people are feeling anxiety. So it's not reasonable to not have that anxiety. So there's no way to make our understanding and uh, healthy, legitimate feelings aren't things we can make go away, nor do we want to. So I I don't have quick, easy steps to make you feel safe in an unsafe world because it isn't, but I don't want you to catastrophize and dramatize at the same time, you know, because again, the work of mental health is we're not uh, illegitimizing or denying feelings, but we're also not catastrophizing and amplifying. We're trying to feel the natural reaction. So your anxiety is normal and natural and healthy. Feel it, but also take some time away from it. Control what you can control. Uh, be very aware of you know what's what you're accessing, and uh, you know try to find some joy. All right, we got another one. This one says, "Hey, Dr. Chris, what are some tips for approaching people at Pride? I'm going to be going this year with a few friends, but I definitely want to branch out and meet new people." I don't think you're gonna have a problem. Uh, people at Pride are pretty outgoing and pretty friendly. It's a really warm, community driven experience generally. So, my tips are just go. You know, people uh, are going to engage you. You will engage them. You will have fun and funny moments. Just keep your head up, keep a smile on your face, start conversation. I don't think it's gonna be a problem though. Just keep your body planted there. And uh, more importantly, I want everyone to look out for everyone because there's also a lot of, you know, over intoxication and and things like that. So just keep an eye on your friends, you know, check in on them, uh, check in on the people around you, make sure everyone's safe and being taken care of and just have fun. You know, Um, I don't think you're going to have to really stretch or push yourself, but I'm glad you're going. I think everyone should go. And if you're not part of the LGBTQI community, just be very thoughtful that it's a space you're welcome in, but it's not for you or about you. So just make sure you're not trying to center yourself, Uh, but go and enjoy, bring the kids. I want kids to see this. I want adults to see this. Bring your straight friends. Uh, It's good for everyone and uh as long as everyone's respectful you know all goes well but uh whenever i've attended events like that i've always really valued seeing the diverse sets of people that show up and drive in and seeing you know straight people bringing their children to have exposure and it's just a really fun dynamic space where everyone's really being more authentic and uh able to really, uh, you know, express and participate in, you know, parts of their identity that maybe aren't safe for them to do back wherever they're coming in from. You know, I think it's easy for those of us that live in an urban environment to forget that there are a lot of places where people can't do that. And this is where they come to do that. And so for some people, it's not a party as much as it's a mental health thing. It's uh, them being able to fully embody and experience who they are and to date and to flirt, a lot going on, you know, everyone's there for a very different reason. So, um, It'll be fine, you know, I don't think anyone has to worry really about, you know, the community building part. Cause again, it's um pretty freaking inclusive in a really beautiful way. Things have shifted from back in the day and the crowds are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. I don't really have any tips for that. Like I said, just engage. <laughs> People are pretty outgoing. Just be thoughtful, you know. Um, all right, y'all. If you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Questions, topics, things you want us to hit, circle back to, drop deeper into. We are channelq.com. It's so where we want to go to check out past episodes. Uh, spend the rest of the night, though, focusing on tons of self-care. Rest, 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 some leisure, and uh, carve out some time for joy. You know, today and also every day. We're dropping the bar for ourselves and, you know, those around us. Tough times, man. More compassion. More compassion and care. Everyone's kind of struggling but trying to do the best they can. So look out for those you care about. Um, yeah, we'll be back. So uh, join us. But uh, thanks for hanging out, y'all, as always. And uh, enjoy the rest of your night. See y'all soon. Good
2: night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what?